Welcome to Leveling the Playing Field, a podcast featuring women who work in sport. My name is Bobby Sue Doyle Hazard. Welcome to the podcast, and I'm so excited for you all to hear this week's episode. We have a great guest who I'll tell you about in just a moment. Um, I want to welcome the new listeners we have. I know that there have been a couple of um, industry types of meetings and things where leveling the playing field has been mentioned or I've spoken at. So I want to say hi to all the new listeners. Welcome, Uh, especially to some of the cohort. Um, I had the opportunity and an amazing time at Maria Taylor's Winning Edge Leadership Academy's game-changing retreat. Um, She and uh, Corrine Million um, have this organization that's um, really meant to help uh, student athletes of color or women um, to help them carve their paths in the sports industry. They have a weekend um, in a retreat house and they have mentors and then there are other guests who come and speak or um, participate in a dinner of influence. I was one of those participating in the dinner because food. Um, And, you know, I can't say enough about the student athletes who were there and just how intelligent and hungry they were to carve their paths in the sports industry. It was an honor to be included among the talented and impressive guests. And I hope to be able to participate again in the future. Um, We talked about it as they put out the application earlier in this year. Um, So make sure you just, you know, have it on your calendar at the beginning of the year to check out winningedgeleadership.org. Um, so that you can learn more about what they do, um, if you're in the sports industry, how you might be able to help. Um, but also for those of you who are student athletes right now and listening to this, how you can apply next year. And, um, Maria Taylor is going to be a guest soon. So hang tight for that. Um, we're going to be recording it soon. We didn't get a chance this weekend because there was so much going on. Um, but I'm really looking forward to that conversation and bringing it to you. Um, I mentioned last week that if you did a review on Apple podcasts, that I would read it. So here's this week's, um, it is from Christina PS and she says, Bobby Sue is a great conversationalist and asks questions that build upon what her guests say. I appreciate that it doesn't feel like an interview, but a conversation between two friends. I especially enjoy hearing about how the guests got to where they are today and think Bobby Sue does an excellent job at asking thought-provoking questions to get better and deeper responses from her guests. Christina, thank you so much. Um, it's a little weird reading something about myself. I just realized as I did it, but I really do appreciate the comments and I'm glad that um, you are getting something of value out of this. Uh, I think this interview that I have today is going to be one that you in particular like because of the fact that um, Emily Jansen, who is who I'm interviewing, um, she's the GM of the triple a baseball club the reno aces um her career path is really interesting and um is very much not a straight line which i think always brings out the best stories um Before I tell you a little more about Emily, I have to say thank you to Scott Poley. Scott is my buddy. He's over at Minor League Baseball, and he introduced me to Emily literally the day I saw the announcement about her 
becoming GM. I shot him an email and it was like two seconds later. So thank you, Scott. I appreciate your support as always. Um, and Emily is incredible. So she is the general manager um, for the AAA um, affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks, the Reno Aces. Emily is the first woman in roughly two decades to be named GM of a ball club in the Pacific Coast League of Minor League Baseball. She is currently the only female GM in all of AAA and only one of five total in minor league baseball. Her path to the GM role is one of my favorites thus far. Emily started as a ticket sales intern with her hometown team, the Chicago Bulls. After the program ended, she moved over to the Muscular Dystrophy Association, where she worked on everything from fundraising to events for over three and a half years. She's been a small business owner and a big sister and employee of Big Brothers Big Sisters. Emily found home with the Reno Aces as she moved up the ranks to Vice President of Corporate Partnerships. A move to Houston for her husband's job kept her away for two years, working in other organizations until this spring when she received a phone call from the president of the Reno Aces asking her to come home and be the GM. This conversation highlights the same lesson over and over again. Pivoting is good. Gaining new skills is good. And you don't have to move through your career in a straight line. I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I enjoyed speaking to Emily. Um, In the background, I just want to give a heads up. You might hear some thunder. Uh, We decided in Tampa to have an epic thunderstorm while I was recording. So that's lovely. And then at the end of our discussion, Emily is actually moving through the offices to... um, (laughs) down in the ballpark. Uh, It's just the last couple of minutes. So um, I I hope you enjoy this interview. And now on to the interview with Emily Jansen. Hey, Emily. Hi, Bobby Sue. How are you? I am doing very well now that I'm talking to you. How are you? I'm great. I'm great. Um, I, this is actually my return to Northern Nevada. Um, so the move was a lot easier this time. Um, not as big of a transition to come back somewhere, albeit the position is new and a lot new responsibility, but for myself and my family, um, just kind of got right back to it. Um, you know, kids signed up at the same school, got a house in the same neighborhood. Um, so that absolutely made the move much, much easier. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) At least you had an idea of where you were going, right? Exactly. Exactly. When we moved, um, when we left Reno last, we moved to Houston and, um, I was pumped because I'm from, um, albeit a lot a ha- hour away suburb in Chicago. So, um, some people said I was a suburb of six flags, great America. Cause that's <laughs> that theme park is like 10 minutes from where I grew up and the city is an hour away. Um, but, uh, I was from a big city and so I was really excited to get back to Houston. But the, um, the transition from Reno to Houston was a lot tougher cause there's a lot more places to live. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I want to start off with how we typically start off. And that's finding out how you fell in love with sports. Sure. Um, So I am the middle child of two boys. And in this suburb I grew up in, um, at the time, was not incredibly 
densely populated. Uh, we had six and a half acres and uh, my neighbors had a bunch of animals, which was, was cool. Um, but I didn't have the neighborhood kids to play with. So my brothers and I played sports. So it was a lot of while we were home, intense competition and hard fouls on the driveway, playing basketball, um, playing, there were three of us. So we played running bases a lot in the front yard, which was our like made up baseball game on, you know, who can basically steal. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, um, grew up with it. My brother played football and, um, I wanted to play sports too. So I did tumbling as a kid. And then in third grade, my mom finally, um, after much begging, signed me up for soccer, um, which began a long career in travel soccer. But then I also in high school, um, played volleyball, basketball. Um, and then because of my million years in, in tumbling my senior year, um, stuck hardcore with soccer for sure, but I wanted to do something fun. So I, I actually made the varsity cheerleading squad and I did that for basketball instead of playing. I cheered for the, the guys, but for me, um, that was cool because it showed, I felt like I'm an athlete. I'm going to be able to do, um, I can do this. Like I didn't grow up doing this. I know how to tumble, but I'm going to learn. And so I learned it and tried out and made the team. And anyway, it was a lot of fun. Um, and any, I've been in love with sports my whole life. It's, it's what I did whenever I had free time. We didn't have cable TV when I was a kid. So we were, we were playing outside. That's funny. So uh, the really important question, <clears throat> as a follow-up, my listeners are just going to crack up at me. What kind of animals did they have? <laughs> I know. I know you have a cat that you love. I have two dogs. Um, so I also pit two giant dogs. I love dogs. Um, what kind? Animals they had. Um, we have a, um, a lab, a purebred lab. I, I say he looks like a la- the labs that are like printed on those blankets like that you see uh, like sporting goods stores. He's a model looking lab. Um, and then our other uh, is a pit bull mix that we rescued. Um, from uh, Northern California from a, a rescue. We gave, we gave good old Buckaroo a home and he and Remington are best friends. Wait, his name is Buckaroo? It is. Oh Isn't my that gosh. awesome? Yeah, he would be a great <laughs> buccaneer. Um, yeah. He is a 90 pound lap dog. Um, I think because he grew up on the streets he likes the blankets and the pillows. <laughs> no, I think that's just how they are. I think like yeah. dog, it doesn't matter what size. They all just like to be on top of people. Yeah, um, exactly. So your neighbors, what kind of animals do they? I, Emily, I have this thing with animals. It's a little ridiculous. Um, I enjoy goat yoga and, awesome. and things like that. I'm the person talking to the animals at the party and not the people. Yeah. <laughs> Um, she had, uh, I think anywhere between eight and 10 cats. Um, they had anywhere between two and three dogs, like over the course of like the 10 years. Cause a couple of them, um, of you know, they got old. Um, and then, uh, she had a horse and a pony. The pony's name was Scotch and he <laughs> bucked my brother off when he tried to ride him. <laughs> it was amazing. And then she, um, she rehabbed, uh, animals as well. So we had a golden retriever growing up. His name was Otto. And we have these awesome photos of Otto with, um, with a deer that uh, had been hit by a car. 
And um, my neighbor, she was a vet tech um, and, you know, spent her whole life dedicated. Well, she's still alive, but her whole life has been dedicated to veterinary (laughs) services. And she repaired this um, deer. And so I have a photo of our dog, like laying in her yard, like next to this rehab deer. And the same thing with a um, albino uh, raccoon. And then she always had raccoon babies, which are so cool. They are they just crawl all over you and they're just, they're so sweet, um, you know, when they're little like that. So, um, and then she rehabbed like ducks and turtles. And so we had a lot of fun going over to her house and seeing what was in her barn. I need to move somewhere next to a vet tech or something yes. like that. Like th- this is my ideal neighbor is one that yeah. has like animals that need love that I can just come over and be like, Hey, let me love on the animals. Uh-huh. That's pretty awesome. Uh-huh. This is now going into my <clears throat> goals for the coming years. Um, <laughs> thank you for helping me with that. My pleasure. <laughs> um, who were your teams when you lived outside Chicago? Uh, the Bulls. So I was there. Um, I, I grew up during like the Jordan era. And so I remember watching NBA championships and – Um, We wore like our Bulls shirts and took the pots and pans out of the cupboards in the kitchen and had like our wooden spoons like beating on them, cheering for the team. Um, And so that that for me, that was that was the biggest team. Um, And that made it really cool when my my first job out of college was interning in ticket sales for the Bulls. So that was kind of like a really neat moment um, for me. But then second to that, my parents are actually from Wisconsin. So while I did grow up in Illinois, they're big Packers fans. So we had people over at the house um, every Sunday during the football season to watch Packers games. And it was it was so much fun. Um kind of a revolving door. They always knew the door was open if the Packers were playing and my mom would be cooking and my dad would be grilling and there'd be plenty of beer. And, um, so definitely, um, still love the Packers no matter where, uh, where I've lived over all these years. Um, you know, that team has stuck with me as well. Sure. Uh, when you were in high school and in deciding what you wanted to do or what you wanted to go to college for, how did you decide on University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign and uh, advertising? Yeah, so um, I had no idea what I, I knew I wanted to work in sports and um, I was done playing. I was like, I'm not, I don't want to just for me, I want to go to a big school and have that experience. I don't want to play um, you know, D2 or, or D3 soccer. I want to just go full academic. And so my counselor at the time, um, was my volleyball coach and, um, I was in the top like 5% or whatever in my class. And she volleyball, luckily it was a fall sport because her name was Miss Varney. And she's like, Emily, where are you applying for school? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Like, where should I apply? What do you think? And she was like, well, you need to apply to Illinois. And the early deadline is you know, next week or whatever. I'm like, oh, what do I need to do for an application? So she like helped me through that. Cause it wasn't really, even my brother um, 
was a year older than me and he was, um, he ended up going and playing D3 football and it was sort of like, um, for him, like an extension of high school, it seemed like it was just an obvious next step. And for me, things were a little bit different because I wanted to go to a big school. I I wasn't going to be relying on a sport to get in. I'd be relying on my academics. And so I needed to start thinking about that. So she was great at helping me um, do that, finish the application. She was like, what's your major going to be? And I'm like, well, I want to work in sports. So uh, maybe I can be a a sports doctor, physical therapist. (laughs) She's like, (laughs) she's like, okay, well then you need, according to this paperwork, like you need to apply to a biology major and that would be your track. I'm like, all right, I like biology. Sure. So, so I filled (laughs) it all out and literally I got, I made it in for the early deadline. And then four weeks later I got my acceptance letter. It was before homecoming. It was the day of the homecoming dance. I remember this my senior year. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, I got in. And people were like, no one gets into Illinois that quick. Like you have to go there. And my parents were like, really excited. And they're like, well, it's also in state. Cause I was thinking about university of Wisconsin, Madison. Um, cause my, I have a lot of family in the Madison area and my parents were like, well, that costs, uh, out of state tuition and Illinois is in state tuition. Like let's, let's think about that. Right. So, um, I was full bore Illinois and, um, I got to school and, um, filled out, you know, the path for my major, took all the classes I get into Chem 101, and I'm not joking, Bobby Sue, day one, we covered everything I ever learned about chemistry, like, in the first class, and, (laughs) like, in the first, like, hour lecture. I'm like, how can you cover an entire year's worth of chemistry from high school in one hour? This is not going to work out. So I stuck with it for a couple weeks, and I was cognizant of the drop dates and ended up dropping Chem, and I'm like, I need to figure this out. So... I started being a lot more, um, you know, vigilant and inquisitive about what were the general education um, requirements, like fulfillment classes that I was taking that might be in other areas of interest. And um, I landed in advertising 101 uh, with my professor was uh, Steve Hall, who I think he still works at Illinois. And, um, And I'm like, I like this, like, this is interesting to me. And when I look back, I think, okay, look at my test scores. Yeah, I did take like AP bio and stuff in, in, um, in high school, but I excelled in English. Like if, if you, um, look at how I, I actually did not just the grades I got, but like the work I produced, the English side of things was just a bigger strength. And so, um, that started to click that, okay, science is not the path. Like, let's go down this English advertising, like PR um, type role and sort of see how this develops. And so to get into advertising, you have to reapply your sophomore year into the College of Communications. And um, I'm like, I already applied to this school. How, why do I have to do this again? But um, <laughs> anyway, I applied, got in. And, um, all of a sudden I had, uh, I was getting straight A's. Like I was engaging with the other students in my classes. I was meeting with my TAs. I was talking to my professors, my senior year, I was president of, um, our advertising competition. And, um, 
I was, I just felt so thankful that, um, you know, even though I spent my first year really lost on what I wanted to do, I was able to recover and find the right path for me within like the four year window of, of school. And, um, luckily the advertising program there has really strong ties to Chicago and the ad industry. So I got some cool internships and, um, anyway, then, then landed with the, the bulls opportunity, um, following graduation. I love that you had a little bit of a stumble. Um, I think it's so important. I've talked to quite a few people now that, you know, people wouldn't expect that they maybe didn't know what they wanted to do immediately or that they, um, you know, didn't do well their first year. I've, I've talked about how I, I almost failed out, uh, my first year. So, you know, we don't always have our shit together all the time. <laughs> no, I mean, I turned 18 in August and then went to school three weeks later. Oh like, gosh. how are you supposed to have it together at that point to make a decision that's supposed to be the path for the rest of your life? Like in 18 years, you decide what you're going to do for the next 40. That just doesn't make sense to me. Um, so I was lucky that I, I found something within the university and that has been versatile enough for me to sort of carve my path. And I've, and if you look at my LinkedIn, you're like, dang girl, like you're really trying it all. Yeah. <laughs> but I, but I've done it in a way that I felt always built towards my, um, my next step. Um, so I, I, I'd done started in sports sales and then I went the nonprofit route and you get to wear a lot of hats there, um, and build partnerships. So it made sense when I came back to sports and worked in partnership. And then I went brand side and then corporate side and then, um, worked on major events and then in back, you know, here right. team side again. So you can just, and know too, like for all the listeners out there, like I've got a lot of career left, who knows what's next, but, um, <laughs> you can definitely pivot right? You don't sure. have to start with a team and, and stay with the team forever. And I remember when I left the Bulls and I went to work for Muscular Dystrophy Association Chicago, there were several people who said to me, if you leave sports, you'll never get back in. And I was like, that's not true. I will show you that's not true because I really want to take this opportunity and I really feel passionate about it but I don't know that it's the end of my career in sports. And so if, if I want to get back in, I'm going to find a way sure. to make it happen. So, um, I, I do always think that there's, there's a way to get to where you want to go. Well, let's back up a little bit to that, you know, first job that you got, you know, pretty much right out of school with the bulls. How did, how did that happen? Yeah. Um, so they have a, um, a ticket sales internship program where they hire 12 to 14 new college grads every season. You start um, end of June and your contract goes through like end of February, beginning of March. And they do it right. They do it well. They have phenomenal sales trainers and they wind up with this staff of interns who manages a huge book of business um, for season tickets and group sales. And so um, I found out about the internship because um, in college I was in a sorority and um, one of the girls who was two years older than me, who I um, 
idolized. Like I just thought she was so cool. She was in the same, um, she was in the college of media, um, as well. And her and I kept in touch, um, because she got an internship with the bulls when she graduated. And I was like, dang, Lauren, I thought you were cool. And now you got this cool job. Like we got to stay in touch. Um, and so I reached out to her or I stayed in touch with her. And then I was like, how do I apply? And so she, um, she was like, here's how you apply. Like, I'll, um, I'll make sure he sees your resume, but then it's up to you. So I was lucky that, um, and, and this has been a theme throughout my entire career, like the relationships that I've built, um, and the way that I've kept in touch with people have helped me get the next opportunity. So I like, I can't preach that enough. So it started way back then with, with the bulls. So Lauren helped get my resume pulled from this stack of, you know, all these kids who wanted to do this internship. And I interviewed with, um, Dave Dowd, who's still there as the director of ticket sales and, um, got the job. And so me and I forget if there was 12 or 14 of us, I should remember cause we hung out all the time. Um, but we got this internship and I remember starting and being like, this is gonna be awesome. And then, then I really started listening to like what I had to do every day. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is going to be so hard. I have to make 80 <laughs> calls a day. Like I sit at this tiny cubicle, like I work off of this script. Wow. I thought I was going to be like, you know, doing marketing, like, or something, what I would have considered like a more fun job at the time or promotions or whatever. Um, but I'm so thankful for that opportunity because, um, I got sales training, number one, but number two, I learned a really valuable lesson that uh, ticket sales is truly the lifeblood of any team. Like you don't get to do sponsorships and promotions and have star athletes if you don't have people coming to your games. And so the, the Bulls were able to maintain incredibly high attendance records, even in the post-Jordan era, because they had built such a great um ticket sales internship program. So, um, it was, it was a grind from nine to five, but it was also so much fun because, um, I worked with all these other new college grads and we hung out and, um, went to a lot of bulls games, also a lot of bars <laughs> in the city <laughs> and just, uh, it, there, I'm still in touch with the, uh, with a lot of those people, um, to this day who are doing some pretty cool things. That's awesome. I know how important that first job, particularly, particularly for sales is. Um, and you know, the, the difference a really, really good training program can make in the career of, of these, uh, employees. So it's, it's great that you were able to um, learn so much and, and be a part of a, a good program like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally thankful. There were days when I absolutely did not want to go to work because I didn't want to do the job, um, every single day, but I'm, I'm so thankful that I had stuck with it to the end and, um, that they had such a good program, uh, because it's really, really helped me, um, you know, so far in my career. I think it's really hard to go wrong with sticking with the sales role for a little while, right? Because so much of what we do in the industry banks on that. And it's such a great skill to be able to carry forward. So that was good choice on your part to stick with it. 
Thank you. Yeah, 100% agree. It's never a bad thing to have sales experience. Yeah. How did you end up um, at Muscular Dystrophy Association? Um, so I was pretty burned out, honestly, after um, the ticket sales internship. And um, I really wanted a job where I felt like I was um, giving back. And um, it was, for me, I, I mean, I guess I was a little bit of a country bumpkin, like the way I grew up and University of Illinois is in central Illinois. So I was kind of like in this bubble. So when I moved to the city of Chicago and was really exposed to the city and all these like real world problems, I thought, wow, I want to, I want to find a way to help. So um, as I was looking around for my next opportunity, I stumbled upon at the time the position was called the program coordinator with Muscular Dystrophy Association. And the executive director for the Chicago office had gone to University of Illinois. And um, I started kind of poking around at the time just on Facebook. We didn't have LinkedIn in 2006. And, uh, <laughs> or if we did, I wasn't on it. Um, <laughs> And I found out like her name and then saw if I knew anyone who knew her. It turns out a girl I knew in college was really good friends with her from high school. So I reached out to this girl, Stacy, and I was like, hey, I think I'm going to apply for this job at Muscular Dystrophy Association. This girl, Sarah, is running the office. And she had the most amazing things to say about Sarah, who was only a year older than me and running the entire office for MDA in Chicago with this huge budget. And, um, and so I was like, how, you know, how is she in charge of this whole thing? And she's only, I don't know, at the time she was like 24, 25. And Stacy's like, wait till you meet her and you'll see why. So, um, I, and I got an interview and then I got the job and, um, Sarah was an amazing. She's still there and just killing it. Um, but I was um, so happy to have worked there for three and a half years. I worked on um, partnerships with um, with the fire departments. They do the fill the boot. Um, mm -hmm. And so for me, I mean, I was going out there and selling MDA and saying, if your department isn't on board, you should be and here's why. And then I was working hand in hand with those guys, um, which was a blast. And it also taught me... Um, a lot about working with different types of people. So working with um, your local fire department uh, chief is not the same as working on um, a major gift from, you know, ABC uh, law firm in the city. So uh, that job was just so good for me to um, work with a wide variety of people and from in businesses and events and programs. Um, and all along the way, I got to meet some pretty amazing families um, who were uh, some pretty intense stories um, because unfortunately, a lot of kids are affected with these devastating diseases. Um, but those who, who turned around and um, did some amazing fundraising to help you know the next generation hopefully find a cure. And been pretty remarkable um, staying in touch with people from MDA. And in the last 10 years, we were talking about drug trials and now uh, they're out of the drug trial phase and, and patients are being administered life-saving drugs from research that was taking place 10 years ago that we were helping fund. So it was, it was really 
a lot of lot of fun to to work there, impactful, um, and a cause I still support today. I wonder if this was um, what really started to help grow your passion for community involvement. Because I know that that's something that you've brought to the aces and, um, you know, it, it just shows a, a level of compassion, which is, I think, important in leaders, um, and grit because it's never easy asking people to donate money. No, (laughs) no, it's not, it's not. But when you believe in, um, in the cause and, and what it can do and empower them to find ways to give back. And for a lot of times it's for a lot of people, it's not writing a check. It's, um, it's volunteering or it's using the resources of your company, um, finding creative ways to, to raise those funds. That doesn't feel as much like you're asking someone to, you know, pen, pen a big check to, to the cause for which you support. Um, and I think that um, my foundation is fundraising is and in fundraising has absolutely helped me um, understand how a baseball team can get involved in the community. And when I mean get involved in the community, I mean really get involved. I mean help raise money for worthy causes, provide experiences for kids and families, um, open our gates to uh, to memories. And um, I, I think that my work with MDA and then also with big brothers, big sisters, um, has really helped me to understand as a, as a nonprofit, um, what they want, what's important to them, and then how we can fulfill some of those needs. With big brothers, big sisters, you were really in charge of the, the corporate partnerships and, and the big fundraising, right? Yeah, so um, I helped plan their um, their annual gala, um, and then uh, a lot of corporate uh, partnership, corporate donation, and then also grant writing, which I literally did not know how to do when I got the job. Um, but <laughs> I was I was really lucky that um, there was a very seasoned grant writer there who um, who helped me learn how to do that. And, um, again, it was just, it's, it's authoring, a, a piece that is, um, talking about the needs, um, finding a way to create measurements, um, which it's funny, like the synergy between all these different jobs I've had, like it's the same stuff that I'm doing now with the ACEs. Like I need to find measure ways to measure partnerships to show ROI for our partners. And like, I had to do that showing measurable outcomes for underserved youth in the population. Like it's the same principles. You're just applying them differently. Um, but working with big brothers, big sisters was really eye opening. Like, um, muscular dystrophy association was focused on fundraising for that set of diseases and research and, and working with big brothers, big sisters. Like I had, I, I did not know poverty. I, I had no idea um, what some of some kids grow up in, um, in those circumstances until I worked there. And, um, it was sad, but it's, it's eye opening. Um, and again, it's about finding a way, 
um, that we can make an impact for for these kids. And so I'll carry a lot of those stories with me for for the rest of my life. But I feel like I have a better understanding of um, how we can help um, as individuals if it's our, if it's with our time, our talent, or our treasure. Um, to help these underserved populations. And um, I had some really hard moments, especially because I served as a big sister too. So um, getting to know the, the girl that um, that I was her mentor, um, I first met her and I thought, there's no way, how are you even part of this program? You're adorable. She was this cute, like white blonde girl. And I'm like, this you're, you're a talented basketball player. Like she was such an athlete. Um, she was just, she, I, I don't know. I met her and it was just like, not what I was expecting. And then like a month later, I'm like, oh, like, I, I, I see it now. Like you are a child who's growing up in a home with five siblings, um, all who have different fathers. Your mother just disappeared because she's back on drugs. Like you're living in a foster home. Like, wow, this happens to or can happen to anyone anywhere. And, um, yeah, it was, it was tough, but I, I feel like, um, you know, now returning to Northern Nevada, I could recognize some of those, um, organizations which need our help and, and help identify the way that the Reno Aces can give back to those communities. One of the keys to being successful in sports or any industry is to keep learning. Florida International University can help you with that. FIU is Miami's largest university with nearly 54,000 students, 1,100 full-time faculty, and more than 200,000 alumni. FIU online students can take advantage of high-impact opportunities that lead to success and leadership skills. And their online students earn degrees from a university that is committed to learning, research, entrepreneurship, innovation, and creativity so that graduates are prepared to succeed in a global market. Check out their website for more information at fiuonline.com slash podcast. That's fiuonline.com slash podcast. So I was a little. You were? I was um, for a, a, I don't know, a couple years maybe. Um, and uh, Barb, I don't remember her last name, but. Her name was Barbara, which like makes her sound older than I think she was. Um, mm-hmm. And Barb had a um, a bed and breakfast um, called the Pineapple Inn, and I mean it was like a treasure trove there of like random stuff and a bunch of old things that I got to look at, and you know we would go mini golfing or we would just hang out at her at the inn. I mean, I was just like, let's hang out. Um, and for me, it was nice to have the one-on-one attention. Um, I think that it introduced me to a different type of person than was in my family life. Um, and I don't know. I just, I, I always really liked hanging out with her. So, um, big brothers and big sisters is a a great organization. I have 
have a friend, Alex, who has had his little for, I mean, I don't even know. He's in college now. Um, wow. Yeah. So, um, and I know some of um, the players on my team have really strong ties to big brothers, big sisters too. So that's always fun to see. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, you would never, you would never think right that mm -hmm. I would qualify or, but yeah, I mean, even my younger sister was able to qualify because of the, just the family life we had. Um, and yeah, so I, I think it, it shows a lot that you were able to, to allow yourself to, to let a little in and to, you know, try and help mentor her. Thank you. And I'm happy to had, hear that you had such a positive experience with it as well. Cause that's, that's one of the things like, I don't know, I, I went into it thinking like, the kid that I mentor is going to get a full ride scholarship and she's going to do this. She's going to do that. And then, you know, I realized like, wow, it's just about the consistency, like me being a consistent person in her life, someone, um, that's going to show up for her when, um, when I say I'm going to, and, um, yeah, I, I, I know, I hope that it made a difference for her, um, and uh, that was also kind of a, a reality check for me that sometimes it's not always about like the big things. Like there's not some fireworks moment um, that has to be the result of every interaction. Um, but you're hoping that the accumulation of this consistency, this time spent together will, will you know, be something that she looks back on fondly. And that's all I think you can ask for. Yeah, for sure. And I think it, you know, it, again, you know, you being in her life during that period of time m may have been the only time she was around someone who was a professional and, um, it, it, you know, treated her in a way that maybe she wasn't treated at home. And, um, you know, there are things that we sometimes don't get at home that if, another caring adult, um, provides that it can, it can, it can mean the world. Yeah, absolutely. Um, in, in your amazing career of roles all over the place, you struck it out on your own for a little while. And, and I think that's pretty phenomenal. <sighs> Thank you. I'm a really unsuccessful business owner, <laughs> just so everyone knows. I'm really good at working for the established organization, and I think I thrive on um, the collaboration and, um, I don't know, a little bit more of the structure. Um, I, so, so twice. So once I did, um, I built some websites, um, did some marketing campaigns, like did that freelance work, um, for a while. And, um, while I got to work with some cool clients, I was like, just craving as funny as it sounds. Cause sometimes we just hate the office life, but just craving like that, um, that structure and that interaction again. Um, and then coincidentally, when we went back, when we moved to, um, to Houston, I, um, I sort of like, accidentally had to like launch my own business again. So, um, the 
our owner of the Reno Aces is is Herb Simon, um, who we are so incredibly blessed that he's um, our ownership. He also owns the Indiana Pacers, um, was the founder of Simon Malls. Um, they have Simon Investments. Just, I mean, very successful business guy, and he does give us a lot of time and attention. But one of the brands that he invested in was this brand called um, Lole. Uh, and it's out of Montreal, Canada. And so I did some investigating on some other things that were in his portfolio because we moved to Houston. Um, that was my husband's turn to move for, for a job. And I was like, I'll figure it out. Don't worry. So anyway, I took this thing with Lole and I had to kind of work as an independent contractor. So here I was like reluctantly opening my own LLC again, um, in Houston, Texas. And I did that for about a year. Um, but again, like it was so useful. Now I, as part of one of my roles here at back at the Aces, I oversee the team shop. And so because I worked for that brand, I understand um, that brand marketing. I understand retail partnerships, the buying process, um, because Lole, even though it seems it's this cool yoga brand, like when you boil it down, it's selling clothes. So um I, I'm so thankful for those sink or swim opportunities. Um, I, I made it work. I, I, I like being part of a larger team. Um, I've figured that out. But um, each one of those experiences, like now overseeing marketing, I go back to my days when I was building websites and, and running Google Analytics and um, all of those pieces I, I can bring back to, to my role today. It, it's so, I don't know, it, it just, it proves that your path doesn't have to be straight, right? Mm -hmm. It can go in a lot of different directions, but that you can take the skill sets from each of these very seemingly random pit stops and apply them later on. I mean, you becoming the GM of the Aces, now you have everything underneath you, right? So mm -hmm. you, you have to you know, know a little bit, or at least now you have a better understanding. You have a better, a better baseline than someone who only did partnerships and that was it and moved up from partnership to partnership, you know, position and, or even in sales. Right. Um, so even though you call yourself a failed businesswoman, I think that's a success. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I, I was really hoping that this jack of all trades mentality would master of none would like help <laughs> at some point in my career. And, uh, I, I feel like it has, I've done ticket sales. I've done corporate partnerships. I've done community partnerships. I did retail sales and I, um, did digital. So I don't know. Bobby Sue, how that happened that here I am, you know, sitting, what, 13, yeah, 13 years post college graduation and, and feel like I can put a bullet point under all of those things that certainly I, I had planned a much more linear, um, direction, but I'm, I'm so thankful that, um, the bouncing around made, it made sense in the end. And I think it made sense in the end because I always had a larger goal in mind and I have a genuine curiosity for business and how things work. And, um, I'm not afraid to say like, let me try that. Let me, let me try that. And I'm going to read all about it. I'm going to watch YouTube videos. I'm going to listen to podcasts. I'm going to interview people. I'm going to search them out on LinkedIn, ask if I could talk to them and, and learn about it so I can try 
so that my attempt is as intelligent as possible. Those, those are all great tips. I, I wonder how did you end up going from big brothers, big sisters to the aces to begin with? Yeah, this is a great story. Um, so at Big Brothers Big Sisters, um, the executive director, um, her name's Ann Silver, and her brother is Adam Silver. He's commissioner of the NBA. Oh, just Adam and, Silver, no big deal. Yeah, yeah no big deal. So um, Ann and I really connected um, because I had worked for the Bulls. So when I interviewed, um, we, we just kind of hit it off from the beginning. And, and she's a hard driving New Yorker and, um, happened to be out here in Northern Nevada. Um, and so I had a great time working for her and, um, she always knew that, um, she wanted to give me an opportunity like somewhere in the NBA. And I'm like, well, we're not, you know, we're not moving just, just yet. And, um, I'm not sure that that's exactly what I want to do right now, but I'm so thankful that you continue to think of me, for those, those things. And, um, and then she, uh, she was like, well, what about the aces? And here I am in Northern Nevada, not working in sports. And I'm like, well, I haven't really thought of thought about that just now. Um, you know, what, what are you thinking? And she's like, let me make a call. So she made a call and three days later, I mean, here I am working for this woman and she's like trying to give me a different job. And, um, because I think she knew like where my, where my passion lied and the good lo and behold, she was leaving big brothers, big sisters as well. So she didn't feel like she needed to hold on to me at that point. So anyway, she set up a time for me to come over and, um, and talk to the newly, um, hired president, um, who's Eric Edelstein. Um, and I talked to him for a while and, um, for an hour on a night on a game day. And, um, he offered me a job in corporate partnerships and he was like, you come highly recommended, but I've got a AE position open an account executive. And I'm like, Oh, really? Like I've got to be an account executive, but I negotiated back and forth with him, talked about like growth potential. And it's like, what the heck? Like I've got to leap, I've got to take it. And so, um, I took it and, um, a year later I was, um, actually I think it was less than a year. I was promoted to manager of corporate partnerships. Um, and then I had a baby and I going into my maternity leave, I, uh, well, we didn't really even have maternity leave because our staff at the time was less than 50. And so I had to go into him say like, I'm pregnant, but here's what I want to do. And so I negotiated this like <laughs> pseudo leave. I'm like, I'm going to take two weeks off and I'm going to work 20 hours a week from home. Um, I'll start to come in for meetings as soon as the baby is six weeks old. Um, but only for like an hour to do the meeting and then I'm going back home and I'm going to report to you on X, Y, and Z. And in total, I'll be out of the office for 14 weeks. And he's like, okay, uh, we're going to take it a day at a time. And I killed it on my maternity leave. I sold a huge partnership. I figured out a way to do it all. I'm, I really was proud of myself. And I came in, um, the, my first day off of maternity leave and he wanted to meet with me and he gave me a raise and a promotion and I was so pumped. And so then I did well for the next six months and then he promoted me to vice president. And so 
in like less than two years, I went from AE to VP and um, was on the executive team and um, met my number every year. And, uh, you know, I just had a blast working here for him and achieving my goals and chipping away at my career. And um, which leads me to the next story of my husband saying, like, I have an opportunity in Houston. And I'm like, what? Like, everything's going so good here. But all right, let's go. Let's let's leap. So I told Eric in January that um, at the end of March, I would be leaving. And in the next three months, I was completely dedicated to my team and getting them to opening day and that I was going to meet my number. And um, I did both those things. I actually sold a partnership or finalized a partnership, got the deal signed, um, like, and then locked the door to my office and gave him my key and left. So literally on my last day, and I think my son was here who was only 18 months because we had a farewell lunch. So even like with my kid here. And so I just, it couldn't have gone better. Like the the experience and the leaving and, um, and all of that. And so, um, in my relationship with Eric and over the last two years I was in Houston, we kept in touch, which is why he came calling when the GM role opened. So, what does your husband do? Um, so he'll kill me for just straight off saying it, but he was a Navy SEAL for, for 10 years. Oh, and um, yeah, and usually I just say he was in the Navy, but we're friends now. So I'll just say he was, he was a SEAL. They don't like, they don't like to brag or whatever. Um, and that's, uh, he did that for 10 years and um, they have some schoolhouses out in Northern Nevada. And so he, um, once he got out of active, um, he headed up that schoolhouse um, as a con- government defense contractor. And then he had a corporate opportunity in Houston. And he wanted to go try corporate side. He'd been in the military for so long. Um, and um, so we did that in, in Houston. And um, then when I got this offer in Reno, um, he had actually left corporate about six months earlier and was doing some more defense contract work and um, really liking being back in that role again. And so he was on a trip with some guys and he was like, you're never going to believe this. My wife was off her in Reno. And they were like, dude, call Fallon. That's this, the base out here. Your role is open. <laughs> they can't find anyone to re- like essentially replace you after the last two years. Like that has the experience that you do. So four days later he had a job offer and we're like, all right, we're going. Well, that's a sign. I feel like, yeah, <laughs> for sure. That for is sure. fantastic. Um, y- you, you know, come back to be GM basically as season is starting. That can't be a super easy time to be jumping into things. No, I mean, I was here two days and then we had a 12 game homestand and <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I'm so tired. Um, I just moved cross country. What are we doing? Uh, but it's, it's, it's actually the timing worked out better than I could have anticipated because if I had waited to the off season, I would be making recommendations and managing against a product that I wasn't here to see happen. Um, so I'm really happy that, um, I got to jump in and season and see it all happen. 
happen live. And um, I, I had familiarity with the club, which makes it easier um, for sure. But there's a lot of new people here. We're running new marketing programs. We have all these new systems that are doing things. So it certainly wasn't like 100% turnkey. Um, plus, the my role now is so different than overseeing corporate partnerships with um, liaising with the league and, of course, the clubhouse downstairs and then sort of having a broad stroke over all these different departments. Um, but I am so, so happy that uh, I did start when I did just one month in. Um, so I could not only see it all happen, but, but contribute as well. So for my listeners, I mean, you and I had to have this discussion when we first um, <laughs> chatted because you think general manager and you think baseball. So you think Joe Torrey, right? Or mm -hmm. someone like that. Can you explain the difference between a major league baseball general manager and a minor league baseball general manager? Yeah, absolutely. So our players at the Reno Aces are all members of the Arizona Diamondbacks. So they, the D-backs make all of the decisions um, for who's on the roster. And um, then our manager or our coach uh, makes decisions on, on who's playing on the field um, for the roster that he is given from the D-backs. So there's a whole lot of other people that are sending players up and down and doing transactions every day. Um, and so I do not have a hand in that. My role here is the business of baseball in terms of making uh, profit um, on this baseball club for the, uh, the team, the ballpark, the business. So I have a hand in um, ticket sales, sponsorship, uh, marketing, the team store, um, even operations, because I want to make sure that this ballpark looks fantastic um, for our fans when they show up for the game. So uh, the general manager in this role, I think, truly defines the term general manager because you're managing generally everything that happens inside this building. <laughs> Do you... Um you're not just in charge of the baseball club though, right? Is uh, you all also with management of the park have a soccer club? We do. Um, so I am the GM for baseball, but I do serve on the executive committee uh, or the executive team, which is so greater Nevada field. That's our, our naming rights of this building. Um, we do, um, we try for as many non-baseball or now non-soccer events um, as we can. So it's support of that revenue stream. Uh, and then also we have a USL soccer team. So it, that, that team does have its own general manager. And um, I do share a lot of the, um, the baseball like sales staff sells for both, but um, some of them sell for both. It just makes sense in working with some of these clients that you can do generally all that happens at this place. Um, but they all, they had, do have some of their own um, staff as well. So um, we're an affiliate of the San Jose Earthquakes. It works a little bit different in the USL um, because we do, our GM does help manage the players along with our coaches um, a little bit differently than 
like the major league baseball agreement that we work within. Like ours is really structured for baseball. I don't worry about, um, you know, batting averages and, and who we're putting on the mound tonight. Um, I want to know that and know what those numbers look like in terms of putting on a good experience for our fans, but that's not anything that I make a decision on. How difficult is it at the minor league level with guys coming in and out um, to market using the athletes? Yeah, good question. Um, It's tough. So your fans will get used to um, and happy about a specific player, but our job in AAA is to prepare these guys for the big leagues. So really, we're doing our job when we get a call up. Um, and our relationship with the D-backs, they use us a lot on, um, on rehab assignment or kind of a secondary roster where they're sending um, guys up and down with quite a bit of frequency. Um, so chances are, if your favorite player, Jimmy Sherfy, moves to the D-backs um, and gets his call up, like he's likely coming back down like in a week or two and then he'll spend a week or two with us and then get it again. So, um, they do a lot of bounce back and forth, but unlike, um, you know, MLB clubs or like the NFL, um, who have your big name players, like we don't really have that opportunity to, um, to market our sport through our players. So we rely a lot more on promotion and the experience that fans will have at the ballpark versus who you're going to see on the field. And that, you know, makes it often a much more family friendly type of um, venue as well. Definitely. Um, I mean, the amount of kids that get to step on the field each season and run out with the players during starting lineups. I mean, it's incredible and it's affordable. I mean, GA tickets are 11 bucks and we've got a playground and we had the Lego let's play tour come in um, oh two gosh. weeks ago and they had 2000 square feet of Legos, not only statues, but building tables and ramps where you could race. And we've got a, a, a bounce house and, we do crazy theme nights. I, in fact, I walked into my office after a meeting and I had this Hawaiian shirt on my desk um, that I'm going to have to figure out how to wear on July 7th <laughs> because it is Margaritaville night here. And oh my gosh. Uh, we are just blowing the doors off with um, this parrot head theme. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of fun though, because we really, like, we really dive in, um, to the theme nights and the fan experience and the food offerings. And, um, that gives us a lot, a louder voice, uh, in the community that we're, we're talking about more than just 70 baseball games here each summer. You, you have a lot of leeway as well. Like MLB gives you all a lot of um, uh, flexibility with regards to your promotions, with regards to giveaway items, because the licensing system is different than say in the NFL. Um, and it's one of my favorite things I follow on Twitter, which you're oddly not on. Um, I know, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I say with disdain, um, uh, but I follow, it's like, 
minor league promos or something like that. Yeah. And it just tweets out all of the insanity that is minor league baseball and these crazy nights that sometimes occur. Um, but they can be, they're so, some of them are just downright terrible. Um, and, and that's few and far between, thankfully. And then some of them are just hilarious. Um, the, uh, what is the, is it Pawtucket? Wait, no. It, is Connecticut the one with the goat yard, yard goats? Oh, the yard goats. Um, is that, I don't, that's not Pawtucket. That's, no. um, who, who is that? Their, their gear is awesome though. The yard goats. So <laughs> they had a goat yoga bobblehead. Oh, amazing. I mean, come on. Hartford. Yeah, Hartford. Hartford. There we go. They, I don't think they were there when I lived up there. Um, so what is, I mean, you've got your parrot head night. Is there another fun or kind of uh, out there either promo night or giveaway that you guys have this year? Yeah, um, we did for the last homestand. We had superhero night, which is pretty standard, um, but we we had a lot of fun with the way to cape giveaway. Captain America was here. And, and those ones you do have to work. Like we had to sign an agreement and pay Marvel. Um, so some of them come with some different licensing. Um, the favorite in MILB is probably Star Wars. Um, <laughs> the, the Star Wars jersey design. Cause then our players also, um, will wear the can jersey. Wear, yeah. yeah. Can wear the theme jersey. And then we auction the jersey off, um, for, um, to raise money for charity. So the Star Wars night is always nuts. Like you have to book for anyone who needs this information. You need to book a year in advance. If you want the local Star Wars cosplay people to come out to your promotion, um, because they, especially if you want May the 4th. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, what we had like R2D2, we had all these stormtroopers. Um, it was, it was nuts. Um, so that's, that's consistent, um, every year I'm looking forward to, to Margaritaville. That's new for us. Um, and then, Following that, we have um, a Harry Potter night, which I'm really excited about, and um, Johnny Cash. So, um, you know, he's got his song that mentions Reno, and um, the jersey is really sweet. So I'm I'm excited about um, how that night will turn out and how our marketing department will run away with it. Um, but any of the themed jersey nights are really kind of our tier one um, promotional nights. And we try to look at the market, um, look at what other, uh, minor league teams are doing that are successful and then, um, try to pick the winners. And we plan those on Saturdays and really work with our media partners and, um, even our corporate partners to really enhance that theme, um, for our fans. That's, that's so fun. I love the Harry Potter one. That'll be really cute. Yeah, I, um, I'm a Harry Potter fan uh, for sure. I've read all those books and seen the movies and just, um, I, I think it's cool how it transcends age really. Um, it was a children's book, but I, I remember being in Chicago when it came out and I would ride the L train, um, to work and everyone would have this 
big giant hardcover book in their lap that they were reading and it was Harry Potter. It was mm-hmm. like, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, do you, uh, are you able to tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the community a little bit more? Um, I know the mayor has spoken lovingly about you uh, in some of the press that you got when you first were named GM. Um, what are you trying to, to bring to the, the community with the team? Um, gosh, it's, that's such a broad question. There's just so many ways that I can, can answer that. I mean, me individually, um, I'm, I'm looking at a few different boards that I can, can join. Um, I'm making sure that all of our um, community partnerships are really full circle, um, making sure that we're sourcing the opportunities correctly and finding um, truly partners, because it's one thing to just hand over a check um, to that nonprofit, but it's a whole nother to really plan your fundraising activity full circle, meaning making sure that they've got their board members and supporters here the night that we're giving over the check, that they're getting involved and and attending the games, that they have um, ways to communicate to our fans um, on the, uh, um, at the game that night. Um, So yeah, I've really been working with that department specifically on making sure that those partnerships come full circle. Cause to me, that's really important. Like I make these analogies about the, you know, three legs on a stool or four, four legs on a chair. Like what are your bullet points that can go on each one of those? Like it can't just be one direction or we can't really call that a partnership. Right. Right. Um, I know we need to wrap up soon. So the last question I'll ask you is what do you do by way of self-care? Uh, workout. Yoga, uh, Pilates. Um, I have been known 100% to stop whatever I'm doing and go take a yoga or Pilates class at noon because sometimes I'm here from 8.30 in the morning to 11.30 at night and I need to squeeze out that time for myself um, to be better or be the best I can be um, as a person for my job, for my family for this community. And so, I mean, that's my message to everyone. If, um, you know, you need to manage not just your schedule and your responsibilities, but yourself and make sure that you're, you're eating healthy or practicing self-care, you're, you're exercising if you can and are able to, or even just spending some time outside. Um, I, I was just in a meeting the other day, with the American Heart Association, and they were talking about this study where if you go outside and just look at the sky and take five breaths, what that will do for you mentally, Mm -hmm. which to me was sort of this, it was shocking, something that we had to point out something so simple could be so beneficial for us as humans, but we're just go, go, go all day, computer screen to phone to meeting to, you know, circling back again. And are we taking five seconds? to breathe and look at the sky. Right. Probably not. Yeah. That's a good so, point. Uh, yeah. So the, you know, the exercise and eating is, is really important to me, um, to, to be my best. 
Um, how can people follow along with you? It sounds like you're maybe at a game right now. I am. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, you're like, good. You're good. Really trying to stay in my chair for as long as humanly possible. <laughs> um, but I had to get up. Um, yeah. yeah, we play. We play tonight. Um, yeah, you can follow me um, on Instagram um, at e Jansen, J A E N S O N. I'm also on on Facebook um, and then absolutely on LinkedIn. So that's where I, I'll do most of my, um, you know, shout outs to the world related to uh, to my work. So um, reach out to me. I love to make connections and keep in touch and learn about the cool stuff that everyone else is doing out there. <laughs> Thank you so much to Emily for taking the time, including the time when she had to be down at the game <laughs> to be on the pod. Um, I've, I've loved getting to know her and I, I really do enjoy her story so much because of how she's been able to tie all of these different experiences together and, and how they all combined give her all the skills she needs to be the GM of a minor league baseball team. Um, it's also kind of a badass thing to be the only female GM in uh, AAA baseball. And we all learned a lesson or two about baseball, how it's structured, the difference between a GM at the majors and at the minors. Um, please make sure you are rating reviewing and subscribing to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, RadioInfluence.com, and LTPFPod.com. You can also follow us on social. Uh, please reach out to us on there. We love having conversations. It's at LTPFPod on um, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And my Twitter handle is at Bobby Sue. I don't know if you can hear, but Zoe is playing in the background. <laughs> oh, there she is. She hasn't made an appearance for a while, so you guys are lucky. Um, and as always, uh, thank you to my guys, Jerry and Jason. It was, you guys, it was Jerry's 40th birthday. Everybody say happy birthday to Jerry. He's going to be so embarrassed by this, but I love him. Um, uh, as always, thank you to those guys for, for being there for me and helping me um, push out great content every week. Um, I look forward to being back next week and uh, I hope you all enjoy um, your weekend and your hopefully vacation days leading up to the 4th. This is a Jim Fannin Show Quick Fix on Radio Influence. We all have challenges in our life, and the key is to be decisive. In order to be decisive, I need to know what are the risks, what are the rewards, um, what are the basics, and just kind of lay them out there in front of you and do your best to see what it is with no emotion. That's why I love coaching, because it is uh, it is objective. Um, it changes. Uh, the score system remains the same. That's the constant in all my coaching. Uh, that's how I've been able to coach 10 pro sports and 50 industries. 
but every day's fun and exciting. Uh, not not always for my clients when they call in, you know, uh, with a challenge. Uh, but I like the pressure. I've got one minute to help this person get ready for a big event. The Jim Fannin Show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and RadioInfluence.com.